and we were sitting on their patio on a summer afternoon. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do with my career. I want to transition to development. I want to make single family homes. And the, the real, really the, the whole premise behind that is because South Dallas is a neglected you know, side of town. There's a lot of opportunity out there, but if we don't do it, and when I say we, I mean developers, architects, builders, entrepreneurs, if we don't do that for that community, then nobody will. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Placemaking Podcast. I want to thank you for joining the show. I'm excited to share this discussion with all of you. I recently got the opportunity to meet DeMont virtually through another architect friend of mine, and was told that he would be a great guest to have on the show. He definitely did not disappoint. It's not very often that you get to talk to a real estate developer during their first deal, and that is exactly what we were able to do on this show. DeMont is working through his first deal, a ground-up single-family home in South Dallas. I'm honored to get to share his story with all of you. DeMont is the CEO and president of Urban Nest Development here in Dallas, Texas. Currently works as an architect full-time while doing architecture and real estate development part-time as well. His foray into architecture started at the young age of 16 when he got his first internship with a local architecture firm in Dallas. Since then, he has hustled his way to a full-time position in an architectural firm his first development project which has become the genesis of urban nest development urban nest development started in 2019 when founder mock campbell began to see an alarming lack of affordable housing options in dallas he then began to research how he could get involved with other local developers and community leaders together with his grandfather dennis ellis they began to acquire vacant lots in dallas texas with DeMont's background in architecture, they were able to design open concept floor plans that are affordable and adaptive. In this episode, we're going to discuss how DeMont got started in real estate development, certain hurdles that he has faced so far when developing his first property, and advice he'd give to others that are looking to get into real estate development as well. So as always, if you have enjoyed the show, I'd ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends. There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, DeMont. How's it going? It's going well. I'm glad to have you on here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. You know, you're just kind of starting out in the development role, and I think it's a unique aspect that I'd like to kind of highlight. And so I've given you a little introduction before we got on this call, but if you could, in your own words, kind of give us a little bit more about DeMont, and then uh, let's let's transition into Urban Nest. Sure. Um, my name is DeMont Campbell. I'm an architectural designer here in Dallas, Texas. I'm 28 years old. I'm a graduate of Texas Tech University um, and just got started into the development side about 
probably started about a year ago, but actually started my project uh, here recently. Um, so I was introduced to, to Matthew via another architect uh, in Tulsa, and we connected and thought it would be a good idea if I could jump on the podcast. Definitely. So you started recently. What kind of spurred that interest in development? You said you're an architect. A lot of times architects kind of like to explore that realm. Um, so what kind of made you think about making a jump into development? Um, so it really started probably at the beginning of my career when I graduated uh, about five or six years ago. And I had the opportunity to really just dive into the mind of one of this, the, the owners of a company that I was working for. And uh, we just, you know, we're talking back and forth and he wanted to dabble into development. And he gave me, uh, he mentioned Jonathan Siegel of San, Die- uh, San Diego, who's an architect developer, uh, his name and gave me his book. He actually went to one of his, uh, his lectures uh, that he goes around the country and, and gives. Huh. Um, and I just started reading that book and, and started watching videos on Jonathan Siegel. And he was showing, you know, explaining the process of building these nice really real design condos in san diego and that really just kind of spurred my interest and i just kept at it and kept trying to learn and trying to get real world you know information Mm -hmm. in your in your website you mentioned a trip to spain did that actually play into any of your design uh not not really i try to i tried my design approach is really just to make things efficient and make sure that it responds to the end user mm-hmm. um and i guess we'll kind of get that get into the design of the house that i'm about to build right now but you know i'm i'm really trying to focus on making things efficient because these are going to be uh people's it may be their forever home or maybe a starter home, but mm-hmm. you want to make sure that, you know, it's something that's adaptable to whoever's living there. Like what one, one builder I was driving around Dallas with uh, the other week and he said, you know, make sure that you would want to live in the house that you're designing. And that just stuck with me. Like, do I want to live in this house? You know, <laughs> I want to live here? Uh, do, do I want to, these features in this home? Do I, do I want it to look like this with, you know, I actually live there. So that's one thing that I've been trying to focus on um, in my design approach. Gotcha. Well, let's get back into a little bit about your background. Did you always want to be an architect? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I grew up with the best friend and uh, we did everything together. We we grew up playing soccer. Uh, We were in band together. Uh, We both wanted to be architects. My grandmother, I grew up with my grandparents and my grandmother's a realtor and, you know, she, she sold our house and we had open, open houses and stuff. And I would just sit there and draw on the little cell sheet and just pretend, you know, like I was, you know, an architect or designer and just, you know, make modifications to the house that we were living in that, that happened to be for sale. Right. Um, so ever since then, I've always wanted to be an architect. Actually took it upon myself and this is kind of how I landed my first internship at the age of 16. Um, I Googled like best architects in Dallas and I, <laughs> I landed on, I landed on this real estate. Uh, I forget the agent's name. I, I landed on some realtors website and it had top 10 architects in Dallas and yeah. I searched down and I think some, somewhere on the list was Frank Welch. Welch's name 
popped up on the list. And Frank Welch happens to be an actual, you know, pretty renowned architect here, not just in Dallas, but in mm-hmm. the state of Texas. He's labeled as the dean of architecture. Um, so I emailed him and was like, hey, you know, would you mind if I come in and just kind of just see what you guys architects do on a day-to-day basis? That's He's awesome. like, sure. So do you I, know how I old you are? What are you? Yeah, I, I was I was 16 years old. You know, well, did I still he, did high school. Told him you told him that you're like you're yeah. 16. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I came in. You know, my uh, I, I tried to go out and buy some dress clothes. Uh, you know, I was you know pretty skinny back then, and the, the <laughs> dress clothes clothes like barely fit me. But I'm walking into this office with my grandfather, who drove me down to downtown Dallas, and uh, you know, it's a pretty awesome office. They had a you know view of downtown, and I'm walking through this office and the the houses that Frank you know Welch works on are are pretty pristine like Park City's you know million dollar mm-hmm. houses and you know he's walking me through the office and I'm looking at all these models they're hanging on the wall and stuff and he was like how would you like to work here I was like my eyes just got you know big yeah. you know I was like sure you know you know I don't know anything about architecture I don't even know you know the name of the software that you guys use and sure enough he hired me and I worked there that summer and I you know had some pretty you know minuscule tasks like cleaning out their library and stuff like that but I also cut my first finger while making a a model an architectural model (laughs) at 16 yeah 16 (laughs) so and I was going out and I remember you know, I was, I was going out to lunch with contractors and, and other people within the office. And I, you know, had my first taste of, you know, caviar, you know, octopus and stuff like that. <laughs> Didn't even know what it was, but it was, it was fun. You learned a lot and I got to walk through some amazing houses um, here in Dallas. So that was all a uh, experience within itself. That's amazing. <laughs> and so did you follow up with him later? Or were you oh yeah, to, we, yeah, we stayed in contact. I stayed in contact with uh, you know some of the architects there. It was a small studio. I mean, I think there's four or five people um, there. Uh, unfortunately, Frank passed away. I think it was two years ago. Um, so the the guys from there have branched off and and made their own firms. So they're mm-hmm. they're doing their own design work as well. So um, I stayed in contact, um, and from there, from that that summer um you know at 18 you know, I, I went to texas tech and every summer that i came home i made sure that i i interned somewhere mm-hmm. even if it was for uh for free pay <laughs> awesome started working at uh, architecture firm after you graduated and yep. then got a hold of you know reading about this uh, jonathan siegel right yep. what was the book by the way uh the oh, book serious. is called Ar- architect as developer Oh, <laughs> and I'm not sure. You can, I'm not sure you can purchase it, um, but it, it it was kind of like a workbook uh, that he gave out to people that joined the seminar, okay. and it had actual contracts and legal documents that he had used himself in, you know, for his companies. So gotcha. Jonathan Siegel has like Jonathan Siegel Architects LLC, and then he writes a contract for his design services to Jonathan Siegel Development Company, LLC. So basically he's paying himself, but he showed you in this seminar book, the actual language and, you know, members that were part of the LLC and, and all like of that. So you got to see like actual, like 
uh, you know, contracts and documents and how he structured deals and stuff like that. Gotcha. In this wow. workbook. Yeah. And so over time, all this kind of built up, you got pretty excited about it and then kind of decided to, to take the leap and create this group called uh, Urban Nest. I guess, can you tell me more about that genesis of, of Urban Nest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I um, about a year ago around this time, I had joined the We Do Incremental Development Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And I think I just posted a, you know, post that that was like, you know, are there any developers here in Dallas that I could reach out to? And somebody, you know, said, sure, you know, come, come, come to one of my houses that I'm doing a, a rehab on. So I, I contacted, uh, I think it was Leo, Leo Watts. And I met him at one of his houses and we, we spent like a couple hours together. We drove around to a couple other houses um, that he had done in the past. And he told me that I needed to get in contact with Derek Avery, who's a, a small developer here in Dallas. And you know, it, it took me a while to get a hold of Derek. He was super mm-hmm. busy. Um, but I want to say like in May or June of 2019, we got in contact. And from there, things really started getting interesting. Yeah, uh, Derek really opened up the vault to pro formas, information, contractors, all these different contacts that he had. We sat down at a coffee shop and we talked for hours and we did that on several occasions. And from there, I was like, all right. Um, I think he told me like, all right, you need to go out there and find your first deal. And I was like, okay. Um, So we had talked. And at the same time that I was talking to Derek, I was talking to my grandparents. and if you don't know, you know, I, I grew up with my grandparents, um, so I, I kind of run everything by them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and we were sitting on their patio on a summer afternoon. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do with my career. I want to transition to development. I want to make single family homes. And the, the real, really the, the whole premise behind that is because South Dallas is a neglected, you know, side of town. There's a lot of opportunity out there. But if we don't do it, and when I say we, I mean developers, architects, builders, entrepreneurs, if we don't do that for that community, then nobody will. A, a big developer is not going to come in and, and build these affordable houses for sure. the community if, if you know somebody else doesn't. So I told them my story and told them what I was trying to do. And they said, okay, we'll think about it. You know, we, we believe in what you're trying to do. And you know, you've always been driven in architecture. They 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 remember the uh, the summers when I was 16, driving me to to downtown Dallas to get on a right. train to go to work at Frank's office. So they knew that I had the passion and the drive for it. So I told my grandfather, I was like, "Hey, next time I meet up with Derek, you should come." He's like, "All right." So we met at um, a coffee shop in Bishop Arts. I think you know a month or so later, and I think then is when it all kind of came full circle. Um, Derek told us to look into uh, first that we needed to buy a property mm-hmm. and that that was the biggest hurdle because um, by no means am I you know financially well off or anything like that so we were trying to just figure out how to purchase the land and we had first we we try going through the land bank um, the land bank is vacant property that the city of Dallas owns um, and you have to put in an application to purchase the property. And it's kind of at a discount. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but with the bureaucracy of the city government um actually we were supposed to find out if we were if our application got accepted around the same time that the coronavirus stuff happened but if you can imagine on a timeline we put in our application of november 2019 and we were still talking with the city in march of this year about our application sounds about so right that's, that's four months of just waiting around just to see if we can qualify to purchase the land oh wow that's not even the no oh man that's just yeah. qualify gotcha and, and honestly we're still waiting to figure out if we if we qualify to purchase this land so just to roll back to what we were talking about um during the time of applying for the land bank application you know you had to put together an llc you had to uh basically your application materials had to look like as if you were walking into a bank and trying to get a loan to, mm -hmm. to do a project so um we formed an llc and we we put together pro forma uh, we did some loose like sketches of, of what the house would look like. We found a, a realtor. We basically put a whole entire team together just so that we could put this application in. Yeah. And that was around November of last year. Um, so Urban S actually started, you know, in November. And me and my grandfather kept talking and talking and talking. And we were just like, man, we can't we can't wait around for the land bank. We gotta look at other opportunities. So I said, okay, you know, let me think about it. Yeah. So at the same time, um, you know, around that, that time period, we were still waiting on the land bank. Communication from the city started getting slower and slower and slower. There's a period in time where we waited four or five weeks to get an email back from the city. So we said, you know what, let's go ahead and start interviewing with banks to see if we qualify for a loan. Mm-hmm. So in January, we talked to three or four different banks. And this was, this is kind of the tedious part of, of just, I guess, being an entrepreneur. But every Saturday morning, I was sitting at a bank president's desk with my full um, application materials. I had my, my a pitch deck and a, a pro forma put together for them in this nice binder that I gave to the, to the bank. Um, and we sat there and we talked to them uh, every Saturday morning for the entire <laughs> month of January uh, 2020. And we met with four or five different banks. And we finally settled on working with First United Bank, who has a, um, their headquarters is in Tulsa, uh, I'm sorry, Durant, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. uh, but they have a branch here in Dallas. Um, so we met with them and we, we uh, qualified for a loan with them. And we said, you know what? We still haven't heard back from this land bank. Let's go ahead and just see what's on the open market. So I said, okay, let me let me contact Alvin, who's our realtor, and see what's out there. So Alvin gives us a list of properties that's for sale in South Dallas. And I said, all right, let's go after this one. There was a lot that was going for $17,000. So are these all vacant properties? or? Yeah, they, they were all vacant properties. Okay. There wasn't a lot of them. Um, mm. I wanted him to look at properties that were less than $20,000. So there's probably only a handful of properties available. And I said, let's go after this one. It's a nice wooded area. Um, it's, it's south of, of Lincoln High School um, in the 75215 neighborhood. 
Um, and somebody had, had actually put a, uh, an offer on the property a day before we did, Oof. but we didn't find out for like a week. So okay. I'm thinking, okay, we already got this lot. Like our offer is going to get accepted. It's at the purchase price. You know, we're good. And I texted me back. He said, oh, somebody's already put an offer on it. So I said, all right. He said, well, the lot across the street is actually for sale at the same price. So I said, all right, let's put an offer on it. Yeah. I said, this time we're going to, we're not going to go at asking price. We're going to go for 15 K and not, not too much long after Alvin sent me a text back and said they accepted the offer. Oh, wow. And this was, you lucked out, dude. (laughs) Yeah. I lucked out and I was like, all right. So the first property that we, we wanted, you know, somebody had actually put an offer on it, but the one across the street happened to be for sale. Um, so it ended up working out. We closed in 30 days. Uh, we closed on a lot on March 25th of this year. And from there, uh, once we closed on the property, I started working on the design. Uh, we started, you know, going back and forth with the bank on, on securing the loan. Um, I had also engaged the general contractor a little bit more and I, you know, we had to clear the site. There was a, a lot of trees that we had to get a, get rid of and stuff like that. So from there, it was just kind of full steam ahead. So you got this property. Was it the same size? Uh, it, it was probably a little bit bigger, but roughly the same size is uh, 3,500 square feet. Okay. Okay. And what size house are you looking at? So we're, we're probably building a 1,500 square foot house. Nice. Roughly. We can go into that now. So mm-hmm. you've got this property uh, under contract, or you've already closed on the property, right? Yeah, we already closed. We had we own the title and the deed and everything. Oh, nice. Okay. And so at this point, you're looking to get a construction loan, I assume. Right. Okay. So you're in that process right now. Right. So what what happened with the bank was. Um, once we told them that we had purchased a property and we weren't, we weren't like actively pursuing the land bank anymore. Um, they started actually doing like, you know, a hard pull on our credit and, and looking up our history and everything like that. And from there, they pretty much told us that we would get accepted for the loan, but we had to close on the property and get an appraisal um, for, for the, for the construction loan. So, I submitted the drawings to the to the bank to get an appraisal, I think the first week of March. And as you mm-hmm. can imagine, that was pre-coronavirus lockdown, right? <laughs> that was right before, yeah. Yeah, so we submitted the drawings and then the coronavirus thing happened there a week or two after and everything else in the world kind of slowed down or either sped up. If you're in the banking industry, um, everything kind of sped up (laughs) because people are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their mortgages and loans and stuff like that. Everybody's refinancing and yeah. 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 So we, we, we waited like two or three weeks just to get an appraisal on my drawings, which is what I was told was a little bit longer than usual. Um, so we got the appraisal back and the appraisal value came in at like $150,000, which is way lower than what we expected. And there's a little bit of a learning curve or a learning gap in my part on that is the garage 
which is not livable square footage, that value took up so much of our, our the value that the appraiser gave us um, that we actually had to reduce the garage to a one-car garage and make the, in doing that, the square footage that was gained back for the house uh, went into like the bathrooms and the living space and stuff like that because uh, I think we were getting like around 130 bucks a square foot in the livable portion of the of the house. So interesting. I guess I'm curious. How is that appraisal held? You said does the bank do this or was this do they get a third party or Yeah, so the bank hires a third party um to do the appraised value of what the house will be once it's constructed and that lets them know how much to loan us like the actual dollar amount. Um, so once we figure that out, we'll actually close on the loan, um, probably next week. Once I resubmitted the, the revised drawings this Friday, um, and it'll take them a couple of days to look them over and, and give us another, a higher appraisal value. And then hopefully once that happens, the bank will issue out the, uh, the closing documents for the loan. Okay. What does that construction loan look like? I guess just you don't have to go into extreme detail, but as far as like the the term and I guess maybe the withdrawal schedule, is there is there mm-hmm. specific such as that that you can you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so I think it's pretty standard for any bank, but we had to have twenty percent equity into the project. So the twenty percent equity um, portion, a lot of that came from the value the value of the lot. Uh, which, you know, we purchased for $15,000 and the rest of it was cash that we contributed towards the project. So we went ahead and cleared the site. Um, We're going to pay for the permits, you know, which is a fee from the city Uh, and just little, little small stuff that's pre-construction that we pay like energy, energy analysis and stuff like that. So we, we have uh, 20% equity into our loan. And then once we reach that 20% equity mark, the bank finances the rest of the loan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that loan uh, will basically be just the carry the, the cost of the hard cost for the for the entire home. And we hired a GC, so they'll draw against that loan in five different phases gotcha. um, throughout the project. And uh, what's the term as far as when do you have to to pay back the loan? Um, so I'm not, I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure on the, like what the actual terms are, but I know on our part, like as soon as we sell the house, we're paying back that loan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I know that there, you know, there's ba- there's basically a mortgage value on the loan. So like, let's say that we don't sell the house immediately when that, the, the construction is done, you know, we'll have payments that have to be made on that loan until the house is sold. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I'm just not sure without closing on the, on the loan, which will happen next week. I'm not sure what the answer to that is okay. yet, but I'm pretty sure it's, you know, probably a, a 12 or 18 month, you know, yeah, term that shorter. Want. Yeah. Yeah. Just to cover construction and maybe a little after right interesting so i'm just curious what that margin looks like for you after construction is complete yes uh the margin it it really depends on the um 
I guess to, to back up to something else before I get into that, uh, when the coronavirus uh, pandemic happened, our realtor let us know that the banks were changing how they structured their home loans to to potential buyers. So when we found out that people may not have as much cash in the bank because of everything that's going on, we said that we'll actually up the sales price a little bit and we'll actually put that on the table for somebody. We'll put, you know, three or $5,000 towards the closing mm-hmm. um, costs for the buyer, just in case people don't have, you know, cash floating around anymore um, because of the virus. So uh, to get back to your, your original question, you were saying that. Uh, it's more on like, what are your, what's your expected margin? Right. Or- uh, so our, our expected margin is between like 10 and 15%. Okay. Um, but it really just depends on if that person, if the buyer takes that, that closing capital, they, they don't have to take it. But like, for instance, we're going to list it at the house at $185,000. Um, if somebody needs the, the closing, the closing capital, but if they don't need it, then we'll sell it at 180. Okay. Uh, it just depends on the person's circumstances. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's kind of your price point that you're looking at right yep. now. Okay. Yeah. Just curious, like, do you see yourself doing this going forward or, or do you see yourself kind of once you get, you know, a, a decent backlog or some extra capital that you might branch into other types of development? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now I'm, I'm definitely focused on staying in a single family market or the, the residential market. I do want to get into other project types like, you know, multifamily but also I want to look at, you know, commercial development as well, like doing small, you know, storefront um, that that has a necessity out there, especially in South Dallas. So uh, it's just trying to figure out how to how to ramp up and how mm-hmm. to, you know, grow the business so that we can get to that level. Yeah. How do you think you can become successful with affordable housing? So many people are trying to tackle that problem. I guess. What do you think? is the solution to that is it just smaller developers doing what you're doing to kind of tackle that problem yeah so one one part of it is it's exactly kind of my story and that is if you look back at how i got involved in this it really came down to somebody taking the time to sit down with me and have those coffee you know one-on-one sessions like Mm -hmm. Derek. You know, Derek's doing that with a lot of people. I, I know that he's grooming a lot of other uh, potential developers, people that have that entrepreneurial mindset that that want to get into into this uh, into this work. Um, so I think it takes more people mentoring other people mm-hmm. uh, to to get into this because, uh, like I said at the beginning of this talk, you know, it it, it all starts with you know, architects, developers, entrepreneurs, you know, to, to really get into this, to, to solve this issue. I think a, another portion of it is getting more government assistance or the government to look at this a little bit harder, mm-hmm. um, especially here in the city of Dallas. The city of Tulsa is tackling their um, affordable housing market very interesting right now. If you look at the amount of information that they have on their city website, and how quickly um, I've looked at other cities, Tulsa, Detroit, Atlanta, 
their land bank process, their application is all online. Mm. Um, the city of Dallas is, is a little behind in that part uh, <laughs> where I, I had to send my application in paper. Um, there's a review process. We, we sent through numerous meetings to get, to get it done. And, you know, we're still waiting to figure out an answer. So I think the, depending on where you live, the government process, you know, kind of needs to be cleaned up so that more people can, can purchase lots and, and build on them and, and make a, close the gap on the affordable housing, you know, solutions. And, uh, I kind of want to mention this because it wouldn't be right for me just to, to not say it, but, you know, like I said at, uh, earlier on the call that, you know, I, I'm not wealthy or, you know, don't have uh, a lot, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for what I do have, but I was actually blessed enough to, when I was figuring out this path into development, when I made the LLC for urban asset development, I started taking on my own clients. Um, I started talking to other people and trying to figure out ways to get capital without asking for a loan from anybody right mm -hmm. so i think my very first client or the very first uh, project that i started working on was at the end of december but in the past four months i probably worked on 12 projects in in that short of uh time span it was either in those all, all those projects came about from I, I worked with architects in other states, um, other builders in other states. I worked with local developers um, here in Dallas to see if they needed drawings, plans, renderings. Um, and I scraped together enough capital to, <clears throat> you know, my grandfather contributed a certain you know, amount of capital on this mm -hmm. project. And I had to come up with my side. You know, it wasn't like just because we're family, I'm just going to give you <laughs> money. No, it, it still has to work out like it would in a normal business. You know, I, yeah. I own a portion of the business. He owns a portion of the business. So I luckily, you know, was able to hustle and, and start getting on the phone and talking to people and, and sending out emails. And I got enough people or enough clients where those clients now are now repeat clients. So I, I just wanted to mention that, you know, I, I didn't have this cash just floating around in the right. bank at my disposal, I had to actually go out there and behind the, behind the door or after work, I had to come home and work on more work to get capital to raise for this project. Definitely. That's awesome, man. You've got a great story and I love hearing it and I love talking about it because I think yeah. it, it helps to give other people some perspective that, you know, a, a lot of developers are, those that, you know, have, have the wealthy friend or family that is able to help out. There's also several like yourself that are doing this and are, are not with that luxury of having a huge capital investor or, or mm -hmm. somebody you could turn to. And I think it, it gives others a little more hope and maybe, like you said, maybe bring some more people in to, to help tackle some of these issues such as affordable housing because i mean the more the more housing that's on the market definitely you know supply and demand if you if you can provide those those houses like what you're doing that helps to drive the cost down a little bit man i love your story 
but I've got a couple little questions here before we end. I know you got plenty sure. to do. What would you say has made you successful so far going forward into this project on a on a personal level? I would say it's it's been a lot of sacrifice. Um, as you can imagine, um, when when you're Urban Nest, my, my, the company itself has only been around for a short number of months, right? And we're already kind of on our first project, which is kind of unimaginable <laughs> um, to some people. But uh, within that time, you know, I had to I had to get a lot of people on board. And I had a lot of conversations that had to happen. You know, I'm talking with my grandfather, which is a personal like family member, and we're having conversations. And I'm also trying to ring in the bank and the realtor and the GC and all these new connections, mm -hmm. along with a full time job, um, a relationship with my girlfriend. <laughs> all these things where a lot of things had to disappear, too. Right. Like going out. And right. having fun and eating out and, and going out on the weekends and stuff like that. So uh, for the past four or five months, I really had to book it. And just this this coronavirus stay at home thing is, is not new to me because I've been staying home for a couple of months now just behind my computer desk and, and getting at it. So um, I want to say that just hearing other people's story, there, there's a couple other podcasts that I follow. Um, mm -hmm. I think Derek is actually, you know, he's shared his story. He's, he's from Houston and, and moves here to Dallas, but I've, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos too. It's, it's amazing the amount of content on there, but this is just really something that I wanted to do. And I felt like right now was the perfect time to do it in my, in my, um, in my life. And mm -hmm. I couldn't ask for a better time to do it because I'm, I'm young um, according to other people, this is the time to do it before you're married and you have kids <laughs> and stuff like that. So right. it's kind of, kind of just, I don't know. I just stayed level headed and I just went at it, you know, head down. Yeah. Yeah. Head down. Nice. Well, what, what advice would you give somebody else that's looking, looking to get into development? Um, you know, it could be adapted for use or it could be like what you're doing, but just, taking that first step, what, what kind of advice would you give somebody? I would say first is find a, a mentor, whether it's another developer or if you're an architect, you know, find another architect or, or, you know, whatever it is, find a good mentor. And I was telling my buddy, one of my old coworkers, this, um, we came over and, or he had came over and we were playing PS4 or whatever. And we were talking back and forth. And I was like, man, he told me something that he's trying to get into and he, he said that he paid for advice. And I said, Hey man, you know, just from my own personal experience, you shouldn't have to be paying anybody for advice into something that you want to get into. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just seems like a little, a little off to me. Um, the amount of free content that there is on, on Google and, and YouTube and stuff like that. And I told him kind of the story that I'm telling you now, but, you know, I reached out to Derek, I reached out to Leo, I reached out to, to these people, probably some of the same people that you know on the on the We Do Incremental De the Development Facebook group. And all those people in there are willing to, you know, you can post a question and somebody, somebody, you know, is going to is going to comment back. Mm -hmm. So that'd be my first thing. The second thing, if you're in my foot, you know, in my shoes, where you don't have a lot of capital to get into development or what you're trying to do, 
is figure out how you can how you can, how you can make capital and it, it may take a a couple of months of moonlighting um, mm-hmm. if you're an architect or interior designer or maybe you're you have law you know law expertise you know make a make a i think it's called upwork or something like mm-hmm. that like do do some consulting work on the side after after work hours or try to figure out a side hustle um it's so easy to get on uber or favor or, or any of these apps and kind of just do that you know after hours to, to get that capital going and then mm-hmm. also talk talk to your family about what you're trying to do because you never know the way that uh, a family member can help out or like in my my for myself you know my grandfather has 40 plus years of you know sales and business experience so he's mm-hmm. bringing that to the table because i'm kind of more you know on the design side i don't i don't like to yeah. think about numbers and, and figures and stuff like that so he helps out and on that side awesome all good advice and and i think having that that uh i appreciate you opening up about this because you know that's where a lot of people are stuck is just making that first step and like you said there's all these excuses that people can make you know i don't have the money i don't have the experience i don't have anything like you're saying you just get to work <laughs> right yeah i mean but it, it, if you think about it man it, it it really is sad that if you if you look at it the people with the greatest ideas in the in this world are really held back by one thing and i feel like that's capital mm-hmm. um, i've had previous uh startup company experience and some of them fell short a lot of them fell short um because of capital you know having a capital and stuff like that and this time i made sure that this would not stand in the way so um i was lucky enough where i had i could use my architectural experience and and find other architects that needed you know some contract work on the side or uh, a builder or or developer that needed renderings um and from there i was just like wow this is kind of working yeah you know I've, I've raised my money for this project, but now I have a little bit left over. So maybe I can look at getting another project or, or maybe look at starting doing this full time because I'm starting to build these relationships with these, I guess you could call them clients of mine. And now mm-hmm. they're referring me to other people. Like before we jumped on this call, I was telling you about the landscape design. Right. You know, that came from somebody referencing me, you know, to a project. That's awesome. Man, I appreciate your time, Demont. This was this was fun. Um, yeah. I always like to hear these stories, and I want to keep track of you as you go forward. I'd love to stay in touch and see how this first project pans out, and sure, you know, kind of see where you go. Yeah, absolutely, man. I I love to talk uh, once the project is completed and kind of yeah. share some. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some lessons learned. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> after it's built and sold, so. Uh, I look forward to keeping the conversation going. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Devon. No problem. 